Did you hear those words? Even when the race is complete, my lips will repeat, not I but Christ in me or through me. How amazing is that? We come this morning to a passage of Scripture that when you think of it concerning what we're, what we're just saying, brothers and sisters, you and I will be singing for all eternity of the glorious work and majesty of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as you have come together, as you and I are here and we are singing, this is a foretaste and a, a choir rehearsal for what is to come. There is so much joy in singing the wonderful story and majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we come to the second praise song in the Gospel of Luke. And last week we looked at the, the first one, the, the song of blessing from Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. And so today we now come to the one that is probably the most well-known in all of Scripture is the song of Mary, or as many have titled it, Mary's Magnifica. It's titled this because in Latin, that first word, magnify or exalt, uh, translates into uh, the Magnifica. It is a song, it is a poem, and it is spoken in response to Elizabeth and the great blessing that she has sang to Mary at the birth or at the conception of Christ. According to J.C. Ryle, that Mary's song next to the Lord's prayer is perhaps... Uh, one of the most well-known or better-known passages of Scripture. Her song of praise is a beautiful example of how we should sing and praise the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the, in, the, um, in the Church of England, in their prayer book, the Sunday evening service is all kind of formed around this wonderful song of Mary. That's how prominent and important this passage of Scripture is, and it is seen by God's people And you need to know that here at FBC that one of the things that we value, one of the core values that we have is God-honoring worship. We believe that worship matters as a faith family. The leadership of your church, we believe it matters. That how we, or what we do here matters, and how we do it matters. It's not that worship is just important of itself, it's how we approach it and how how we practice it, how we carry it out and express it to our God. We see that throughout Scripture, the Lord Himself has given us, from Genesis to Revelation, He has shown us in ways in which we are to worship Him, how we are to sing, as we'll look this morning. The issue of reading of the Scripture, the preaching of the Word, prayer, and all of these different aspects of worship. But this morning we come and we have Mary's praise song. And it is a picture of singing, an expression of worship, how we are to properly sing to the Lord. And so what I want to do this morning with the Song of Mary is I want to examine three key elements this morning of this proper God-honoring worship and singing. And I want you to see three things. I want you to see the underlying salvation. And then next, I want you to see the unyielding truth. And then thirdly, the unwavering humility. (coughs) Underlying salvation, the unyielding truth, and unwavering humility. And so if you will, look with me in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, as we read this wonderful song of Mary. Beginning in verse 46, we read, And Mary said, My soul exalts, or my soul 
magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has, heard, he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud and in thought of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Here we come to this wonderful song of Mary, and I pray that God will will bless the preaching of his word as we dive into it. I want you to notice first the underlying salvation. This is is really important that you see this. We see as we, in this first verse, that Mary opens her song, and she says that she magnifies or she exalts the Lord. I'll speak a little bit on that in just a moment of what that means. But, But notice that she uses this combination of words, soul and spirit. Now, sometimes we become a little bit technical with things, and we want to try to, we go a little too far chasing certain rabbits and things, and so some scholars may have done this, but I kind of like what many have said, J.C. Ryle and others have said, that we really need to look at this kind of a simplistic combination of words and understand what Mary is saying here with this combination of soul and spirit is that she is singing these words with all of her heart. She is very much like the the, the, the child who, who in the, you know, during the time of worship is just belting out the songs with joy and singing as loud as she can. She's, she's giving it all that she has here. Her heart, her soul, her mind. In Psalms 103.1, we see David likewise singing. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, we read that wonderful, that wonderful commandment of the Lord. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. You are to love God with everything that is in you, all of you. Or how about Jesus' most famous statement on worship? The woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said, but the hour is coming. And it's now here that when the true worshipers will worship the Father, they worship in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. This is very interesting because you had a woman here who was being very technical about the proper way of worshiping the Lord. And she says, y'all worship in the temple, we worship in the mountain. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't understand. He said, God is seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit. Mind, body, soul, and strength. Brothers and sisters, worship starts underneath the physical. Worship does not begin in the outer realm. It actually begins in the inward heart, in the inward soul, in the inward most part of our being. And too many times we want to work backwards. We do this with salvation where we want to work backwards. You know, works can save us. But we also do this with the issue of worship. And so what we do is, is we start with an outward reality. The physical nature, and then we begin to work inward because we want the outward reality and the outward circumstances to stir the waters of our worship within our heart. But here is the problem, and please do not miss this this morning. The true worship of God does not work from the outside in. 
if that is the way that worship works, if it was the work from the outside in, then it would be a work of man. It would be the deeds of mankind. And we know how the Lord views that. Brothers and sisters, that is the very definition of law. If our worship was an outside in, if it was about the circumstances that surround us and that then stirred our heart, that is law, that is not grace. You see, this is exactly how the Pharisees did things. If we do this formula, we have this formula, if we do this, this, and this, then I am righteous. And what we've done is, is we've just taken that same type of idea of law, we've applied it to worship. If we have the right formula, then I can have a good worship experience so for example the formula may be this it may be that if we have the right music if it sounded the right tempo if i get the right song selection you know we need to stay away from those old things that no one knows about get some of that newer stuff those newer song if so if so and so in the crowd will sing a solo or if we have the lights just right if we have maybe some crowd participation if the more the better right And just so on, the formula goes, the more things that we can do, the more things that I can manipulate, the more things that we can add from the outside, then when all is said and done, if we follow the formula, then we can say that we have produced a true God-honoring worship experience. This is no different than the Pharisees who tried to produce their own salvation by works and law. But with Mary, we find the very opposite. Mary's worship came from within, it came from her spirit, and it flowed from that which she felt on the inside, that which was there according to the truth of God, and it made its way out. And that means that her worship found its origins in God and not in man. Notice that she says, my my spirit has rejoiced in who? In God my Savior. You see, Savior is translated my rescuer, my deliverer, or even my healer. This means that Mary understood that she was sick in her soul. She knew that she was sick with sin. She knew that she was held captive by sin and she needed a rescuer. She knew that she, she, because of her sin, that she had been separated from a holy, righteous God. But she had placed her faith in this God and this God was her Savior. This means that Mary understood the true need of her life. That as a sinner deserving the wrath of an almighty God, her hope and salvation was in the covenant promises of this God. Take notice with me in verse 54 and verse 55. It says that he has given help to Israel, his servant. In remembrance of his mercy, he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Brothers and sisters, Mary remembered that this God had made a covenant with her father, Abraham. That God had came to Abraham, and we see in chapter 12 and verse 15, where this covenant is is given and ratified. She remembered that God had made a covenant with her people, that he would be their savior. That he would be, that he would not only give them a lamb, but that he would give them a promised seed. And from this promised seed would come their redemption and their salvation. Mary trusted in this promise of God. That was given to Abraham so long ago. And this was what was underneath. This was not the outer. This was what God had done inside of her heart. Because of her belief in him. Her faith in the promises of God. Mary's song is so beautiful. And so prominent of an example of true worship brothers. Because it flows as a natural result of salvation. There within her heart, behind her chest, within her soul, 
was a redeemed heart. We know in Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. But God, in His grace and mercy, had brought her to life. Brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning a very important question of Sunday morning, and one that you probably needed to answer as we were singing, what is the very source of your worship this morning? What was the very source of your song this morning, of your singing? Did you come this morning thinking, if they sing the right song, I'll worship, I'll I'll, I'll feel the worship today. Did you come this morning and go, man, if Deborah and Sherry Joe just let loose, which they normally do, I'll feel that worship today. If Deborah would just let loose on that organ, whoo, never heard anybody play an organ like that. Or Mike. If they'll just, if they'll just get back and let Mike go and let play those drums. Yeah, I see you back here, Mike. He's, he's covering. Let him go. I'll worship. Or you know what? If so-and-so will just sing the right song, or that song that I heard on Caleb this week, Man, if they will sing that song, I'll worship. Is that really the source of your worship this morning? Did you not hear the the last song? Did you not hear those lyrics? Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, for I'm free. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing for I'm free. Brothers and sisters, or is the source of your worship and your singing the gospel that proclaims Christ as our Savior? It's the worship of your singing this morning because you were a sinner. You were destined for hell. And there was nothing in you that could save you. There is nothing that can bring about your salvation in and of yourself. You are a sinner who has sinned against God and you are sick to your soul and in your heart. And I don't care how great Mike plays on the drums and I don't care how great Deborah is on the organ or Sherry Joe on the piano or how great Trey sings. None of that is going to save you. And none of that... It's going to bring about true, utter worship. You want to know why? Because you're dead. You bring a dead man in here, a physically dead man, and you put him there in that pew, and they can sing and they can play to the best of their ability. That dead man will not move. And so it is with us who are dead in our sins and trespasses, who are unbelievers and unsaved. It does not matter what we play. It does not matter what we do. What matters is is what God has done underneath in my heart and my soul. God, my Savior. Is that the source of your singing this morning that Jesus Christ took your punishment? That Christ laid His life on the cross for you? died in your place for your sins. And not only did He take your sins, but in His death, He imputed to you righteousness. You're not just forgiven of your sins. You are now righteous. I can sing loudly because I know that I am righteous to the Lord. It's not my righteousness. It's His righteousness. Do you sing because on that third day, when all hope was lost, Jesus got up 
Jesus rose from the tomb and brought victory and eternal life to you. True songs of worship flow from an, from an underneath the physical, from an underlying salvation, a heart that has been redeemed by God. And so I ask you this morning, are you saved? Have you been redeemed? Have you been, have you been reconciled to God, you who are sinners? Has Christ transformed your heart and given you a reason to sing? Examine your heart this morning. Oh, examine yourself. Why do you sing? And if you do sing, why is it not a joy? That would be a good one, right? Or why do I have to have all these law? Why do I have to have law to make me worship? Examine your heart. If he has saved you, then may your singing be like the songbirds in the morning time, that as dawn comes and the sun begins to rise, the birds begin to sing their song because they know the beauty of what is to come. They, are, they know the beauty and they are declaring the beauty of the sun's rays upon this world. Every Christian should sing when he or she gathers for worship because they are reminded of the God, their Savior. And if you are not a believer this morning, if you say, Brother Brian, I, I, I can't claim this, Oh, hear the call of salvation to you this morning. Hear the call that if you are living in sin and you are living in unbelief, that God commands you to repent of your sins and come to Him in salvation. He calls you to confess your sins and turn from your sin and believe upon Him this morning. Turn from your wicked ways that you may come and to sing the praises of the saints. Brothers and sisters, the gospel calls, the gospel saves And the gospel gives those who had no reason to sing every reason to sing for all eternity. But secondly, Adam, I want you to see the underlying truth this morning. Because not only is Mary singing out of the joy of her salvation, you need to know that Mary is singing a a saturated song, a song saturated in biblical truth, unyielding truth. Here we find that her hymn is filled from front to back, from from, from beginning to end, with nothing but Old Testament scriptures. Now Spurgeon says that the song is saturated with scripture because Mary's heart was also saturated with scriptures. So, so, So for example, notice verse 46 where she says, "'My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior.'" Psalm 34, 2, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Or how about uh, the reference to God, her Savior? We find that reference all through the Old Testament. 2 Samuel 22, verse 3, Isaiah 43, 11, Hosea 13, 4, probably the most prominent one there, and many, many other places. God, my Savior. Or, or how about when she says this one? Notice that she says that um, about her being the bond servant. Verse 48, for he has, has, he has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. That's interesting. You know who that reflects? That reflects another wonderful Old Testament song of praise. That reflects 1 Samuel 1.11 when Hannah, who was barren and could not have children, and felt the, the persecution and the wrath of, of, of the other wife, who goes into the temple and begs of God that he would fill her womb with a child, And God does. 
Well, brothers and sisters, she calls upon him. So here Mary is reflecting the prayer of Hannah. Verse 48 reflects the prayer of Genesis 30, verse 13. She says, all generations will count me blessed. What other woman sang that who was barren and could not have children? But Leah. Sing, I'm sorry, I've got that wrong. But Leah was counting, she was in the whole thing. It was the other one that was barren. But Leah, still children, singing. She says, all generations will call me blessed. And then you have verse 54 and 55 that reflects Genesis 12 and 15. The covenant that God made with Abraham. And brothers and sisters, we're only touching the iceberg here. The tip of the iceberg. It is obvious that Mary was well versed in the scriptures. She was well versed in theology. She was well versed in the promises of God. We see this. It is the unyielding truth of scripture that saturates her song. Why? Do you remember what I told you Jesus said to the woman at the well? He said, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. We've covered that. But he also said, true worshipers will worship in what? In truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. FBC, you must know that worship that is not grounded in the truth of God's word is not worship. It is not the worship that God desires. Worship that has no theology and no promises, no scriptural base in it, is not worship that God seeks from His people. Matter of fact, we actually run the risk of being individuals that if we do not saturate our singing with the Word of God and the theology of God and the promises of God, we run the risk of singing songs that contradict the scriptures and the theology and the promise of God. And that makes us what? That makes us singers of falsehoods. God is not singing, is not seeking people who sing falsehoods, brothers and sisters. But this is this is why we must be very careful with the songs that we sing. This is the reason why we are very careful here with the leadership of your church of why we don't sing every song that's on Caleb. And while we must be very careful in singing songs by Bethel and Hillsong and Elevation Church and many, many others. Because many of those songs are not saturated with any type of biblical truth, but all human emotion of how they feel. We do not remove truth and just focus on the Spirit. It is Spirit and in truth that we are to worship. And so these songs may sound good, but we're very, we have to be very careful when songs begin to tell us that God's love is reckless, that He has no control over His own love for us. We have to be very careful about songs that speak highly of man and not very little, and very little of God. They may sound good, but they are shallow or have no truth in them. And God is not honored by songs that speak falsely of Him. So let me illustrate it this way. How would, you, what would you, how would you handle a pastor who preached every Sunday morning, who never used Scripture, who never gave you the promises or the theologies of God, never taught you any of those things, and, and, and just really focused on your emotions, just made you feel good, and maybe even taught falsehood pretty regularly? What would you do with a pastor who did that week in and week out? 
I think I, got, I have an idea of what you would do with him. You probably want to meet with him at some point, and he may not be here very long. So why is it that we, who a pastor, may not use the Scriptures and not preach on the promises and not preach on the theology of God and quite regularly do falsehoods that we're totally, you know, we, we hate that. That's unacceptable, but it's totally acceptable for those who sing and lead worship and the music to do the same thing with their singing. Why would we accept one and not the other? And so we have to understand that we must be very careful here. That if we wish to sing the sweetest songs to our Lord, songs that He is looking, if you want to be a worshiper that God is looking for, then, brothers and sisters, you must mimic what Jesus says to the Pharisees. For out of the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. That, that is a truth that when we sing, that which comes, out of my, which, which comes out of my mouth is that which is in my heart. And I would hope that in your heart is truth. I would hope what is in your heart is you standing, unyielding on the promises of God and the theology of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we must let our songs express what is in us. God-honoring worship requires unyielding truth. That we do not turn to the right and we do not turn to the left. Just because it sounds good. It makes me feel good. But that we are, that we stand firm. That we are standing firm on the scripture in all of the songs that we sing. And we allow these songs to supply us with the best and most suitable language for praise and worship. Why would we go anywhere else and look for anything else to offer our praise and worship to Him than not to the Scriptures, to the Word of God, which is perfect and holy and powerful? And so I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, that you and I in a world today that is trying to lead you and I astray, it is trying to twist and to corrupt the worship of God in this world today, do you think they're going to come and do it? Do you think they're going to corrupt your worship of God by coming outright telling you they're atheists and you need to sing this song that, that doesn't believe in God? Or does Satan, who disguises himself as an angel of light, come in very sneaky-like? You don't even know he's there. And many a times he comes in in the songs that we sing. Oh, study the Scriptures, beloved. Study the Psalms. Go to the Psalms and go to the Scriptures. Go and read of, of how the others who would praise God and how they're saturated with the truth of God. Study the Word and think through the songs that we sing. Think, think through the songs that were given today, that we sang today. Take, take your bulletin home with you and go look up the song and begin to look through it and begin to meditate and, and look for the, the verses and the theology and the promises in Scripture and say, oh, now I understand why this song is so good. Man, I could sing that again. Oh, that, that my chains are released that I can sing. I am free to sing. Read and discover what the hymns are saying. And then here is a wonderful, wonderful practice for you. You take the truth of these hymns, you take the truth of these songs, and you sing them at home. And you sing them in the car. And you sing them when you have a Bible study. And you sing the truth of God over and over and over again. And if you're looking for good places to go, 
One of my, there are several good individuals that I love to hear. Shane and Shane, Matt Papa, they, they do pretty well. The Gettys, amazing music. You can go Sovereign Grace music, listen to these all throughout the week as, we're pre- as I'm prepping for the sermon, hearing the truth of God over and over and over again. Unyielding truth in our singing. But then notice thirdly, the unwavering humility of Mary. Notice it says, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. You see, Mary is singing because in spite of her humble estate, she has been blessed by the Lord. Notice that word regard means to turn one's eye upon them. You know, it means that someone who is very unnoticeable, someone who no one seems to pick out of the crowd and no one wants to be with and no one wants to show a blessing or favor to. It means that you turn your eye upon them and you have shown them favor. You, 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 have, you have shown them. They, they haven't earned it. You, it was you that turned your favor upon them. It's grace, unmerited favor. And so the God of heaven has turned his gaze and his favor upon Mary. He noticed her even though she knows I'm nobody to, to notice and so here's the big beauty of this humility of hers. If you want to understand the humility of Mary's song, you only need to know two things here. Number one, notice that she has a big view of God. Notice her view of God, that in the first five references of this song, she says, my Lord, my Savior. She refers to him as a master. She's the bond slave. So we have master, we have the mighty one, and we have the holy one. I really wanted to preach a sermon just on those five things there. Just to, to see the beauty, they each mean something different. There's something deep in there. But she understands that God is all of this and even more. And then you begin to read there in verse 51. All the mighty deeds with his arm he has done. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones. He's exalted those who were humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. God is not just good in name. God is great in deed. Mary has a high view of God. She thinks of Him highly and views Him as being exalted above all things, as though there is nothing greater, there is nothing wider, there is nothing deeper, there is nothing more precious and more satisfying than the God of heaven. She knows that He is all, that He is, that He and He alone is to be exalted above all things. But it doesn't stop there. You see, Mary also understands her view of herself. You see, Mary was an ordinary teenage girl in Nazareth engaged to an ordinary carpenter, ordinary man with an ordinary job. They were nobody. She's a nobody. We've already said that she understands that she's a sinner, that she's nothing, that she's a humble, lowly servant. She's a slave. She views herself as a slave. There was nothing about this girl that should have been noticed by God. And this is why it's, this song is so amazing, because she, she recognizes the great God who we cannot even begin to describe with our vocabulary, His greatness, has shown favor to her. And by all accounts throughout the Scriptures, Mary stays humble. Her humility is unwavering in the fact that here Mary has been given the great privilege of giving birth to the Messiah, and she stays humble. You see, for many of us, that we are people who 
when we are given great privileges, that's when our humility begins to cease and our pride begins to rear its head. But by all accounts, Mary stayed humble. She was unwavering. Dear friends, may I say to you this morning that pride spoils the singing of the saints. God is opposed to the proud. James 4, 6. So if you come in here this morning and you're going to sing and you're going to be prideful and you are conceited about yourself and, and you think more of you than you think of God, but you think this became, you, we sang the right song and you sang loud and you sang the right script, that somehow God accepts that? Pride spoils the singing of the saints. But humility sounds far sweeter. If we are to be a people like Mary who are unwavering in our humility on Sunday mornings, then hear me today, you need a high view of God and a correct view of self. You need to know how great God is and you need to know how true your nature really is. That you may be overwhelmed by the grace of God. So here's what I would suggest to us every time we, before we come into the worship service. That before you begin to, before you pick up that hymn book and before you look to the screens, may you look to the scriptures. May you pick up your Bible before you pick up the hymn and read about how great our God is. How, read Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is none other besides me. There is no God. Or Psalms 96, 9. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble. Notice that word. Tremble before Him all the earth. Or how about we read what the word says about ourselves. Isaiah 53, 6. All like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or 1 John 1, 10, That if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And the word is not in us. And then after you read about how great God is and how, and how sinful and undeserving we are, then go and read of God's unmerited favor and grace that has been given upon you. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Or read Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Boast in God and what God has done for you. Brothers and sisters, after reading the Scriptures, who among us this morning cannot come into this place and sing, Oh, the Mighty One has done great things for me. Who among us this morning, after not reading the Scriptures and viewing the Scriptures correctly, can come in here and not count themselves blessed? But before you pick up the hymn book, I would even suggest that after you finish reading the Scriptures, that you would then take a good look at your life. Examine your life. I would advise you to look around at the great blessings that God has shown you. The great favor that God has given you. As the hymn says, when we come, it says, um, as the hymn says, when upon life's billows you are tempest tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. How many of us this morning stopped to count the great blessings before you came in here to sing? The breath that is within your lungs, a family that loves you food on your table, a warm bed on a cold night, air conditioner on a hot day, a faith family to encourage you, a friend to walk with you, a job 
that you may take care and provide for your family, a healing of some kind of sickness or disease or something. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we begin to count our blessings, you will be surprised what the Lord has done. And if you begin to think, well, maybe I'm not as blessed as everyone else, maybe, maybe then you should do as Mary did and not only look to the blessings of, that God has given you now, but to the blessings that have been promised to us. For the song continues, it says, when you look at others with the lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy, your reward in heaven, nor your work on high, nor your, your home on high. Brothers and sisters, there are blessings and joys and promises that have been given to you that you have yet to experience. God has promised you eternal life with Him and all of the inheritance that is His and even the right to rule with Him. There are blessings beyond belief. And dear friends, I believe that if you were to pick up the Word of God and you were to take a close look at your life in prayer before you ever pick up the hymnal, you will come in here with an unwavering humility and you will sing the sweetest of songs to our Lord and Savior. And so I ask you the question this morning that Charles Spurgeon asked his own church after he finished a sermon on the same passage. He looked to his congregation, he said, Shall we allow Mary to sing alone? Shall we let Mary sing by herself? Some of you would be content to let Mary and others sing. But today I have shown you that you are without excuse. For these are not just elements, brothers and sisters, of true God-honoring worship, but they are also reasons for our worship. If we have been saved by the grace of God, should you not sing as well? If you have the truth of God that is in the very song that is on the screen, should we not sing that truth as well? And since God has regarded your life and blessed you when you didn't deserve a blessing, should you not also sing unto Him? Oh, dear friends, I would argue that these are not just these elements of, of, of God owning worship. They are elements of why we sing. And you may give excuses. You may give the excuse that you're not a very good singer. You may give the excuse you don't like singing in crowds. You may give all of these excuses. But hear me, or hear Spurgeon on this. He said, do not even the ungodly sing, that when their grain and their wine increase, do they not sing very merrily when they go out to dance? And if the wicked sing like this, shall the righteous be silent? Oh, surely if the children of earth sing, the children of heaven ought to sing far more often far more loudly, far more harmoniously than they do. So come, come then, come and let us sing to the Lord. Come and let us sing because we are glad in the Lord. And to those this morning who would say, but Brother Brian, I'm not glad. I am in unbelief and I am in my sins and I am not glad. And you are under conviction this morning. Hear me. Hear the counsel this morning. Before you can sing, you must cry. The Bible tells us that God loves a broken and contrite spirit. You must cry. You must call out. You must cry unto Him to come and to save you and to forgive you of your sins. You must, you must cry unto Him that He is Lord and Savior and your only hope is in Him. You must place your faith in Him. 
Psalms 50 verse 15 says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. And then he says, And you shall glorify me. You see the cause and the effect? Are you troubled by your sin this morning? Are you troubled by your unbelief? Call out to him. Call out to him this morning. Come and repent of your sins. Come and believe upon the Lord. Come, find someone to help you. Call out to Him this morning. Even if you're a believer this morning and you're in your sin and you can't sing with a good conscience and a good heart, call out to Him this morning in repentance. And notice the effect. You shall glorify me. You shall sing and be glad. You shall sing and worship and make much of Christ your Savior. Oh, brothers and sisters, cry, and then you will have reason to sing. Let's pray.